passage tonight comes from Psalm 131, verses 1 through 3. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I've calmed and quieted my soul like a child quieted at its mother's breast. Like a child that is quieted is my soul. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and for this time evermore. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Psalm 131 is just three little verses so easily skimmed over that they hardly make an impression. Yet, if we take our time and pay attention, it is one of the most profound pictures of prayer. It is the 12th Psalm of Ascent. The songs of ascent were sung by the Israelites as they journeyed from their homes to the temple three times a year, Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. There is debate over what was being ascended. Inside the temple, you had gradations of sacredness. Some say that the Levites would sing these 15 psalms as the priest rose to the steps to the altar, the most sacred part of the temple. If you go to Jerusalem today on the southern entrance of the temple, there are some recent archaeological digs that have uncovered the city of David. You can stand on 15 huge steps outside of the temple. The first time I heard of the Psalms of Ascent, I was standing on these white limestone steps. And my professor was inviting us to recite the Psalms to imagine what it was like as the pilgrim who had traveled many, many miles over very rough terrain finally reached the temple. It was a dramatic image of anticipation and celebration. Was it these 15 steps that the songs were sung? And lastly, some believe that the ascent is just a musical notation to sing in a higher key. Whichever scenario your imagination prefers, and perhaps it is all three, we do know that these songs were sung by the Israelites as a journey to Jerusalem throughout the year. We could call these the pilgrim songs. From Luke's gospel, we know that as a boy, Jesus made an annual pilgrimage to the temple with his parents. These would have been the songs that he sang as he journeyed to Jerusalem. After the buildup of the, of the journey, the wrestling, the planning, the struggling, the pleading, and the praying of all the previous psalms, you can imagine that the pilgrim approaches the place where God dwelled. There is a sense that the speaker is letting out a physical exhale, that they've arrived. The tired traveler can rest knowing that there is security here. There is provision and hope in the presence of God. 
You and I are always journeying with God. Reading Psalms 131 is like taking off our hiking boots just to let our feet rest a while. And I hope that you feel a spiritual exhale tonight as we meditate on this psalm together and seek the presence of God. Let's begin in verse 1. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. If you don't mind putting that on the screen. Classically, this psalm was attributed to King David. Four times it is what David did not do that defines who he is. David says, my heart was not elevated. In other words, I did not believe myself to be unique or special. My eyes were not lofty. In other words, David is saying, I did not look down on others. I did not believe myself to be better than others. I did not pursue great things. In other words, I did not have unrealistic sense of superiority or ungodly ambition. And those things too marvelous for me. In other words, David says, I did not see myself as you, God. What are these matters too marvelous to understand? What are these great things that David speaks of? Well, it could be that David is pointing to four significant events in his own life. Reasons that he had to be proud, but instead he chose humility. I was not haughty of heart when I was chosen and anointed king by the prophet Samuel. I did not lift my eyes up when I faced Goliath. Even after I slew Goliath, I did not believe I was better than others. When I was reappointed king after the rebellion against me, I did not walk around as someone who had achieved great things. I did not pursue things too wondrous for me when I brought the ark out of captivity. Verse 1 is David's expression of yes. I was given these victories and achievements, but they in no way took away my sense of my relating to you, God, and to others. These achievements were only an act of grace. We know that David throughout his life, unlike his son Solomon, did not seek out the trappings of wealth and grandeur. He did not build for himself a magnificent palace or carry himself in ways that made him see, seem elevated. No, he was humble. He was a man after God's own heart. The psalmist begins this psalm by inviting us to release our pride and our haughtiness by his own example. There are places of pride in our own lives where we find identity in our achievements and our success. I wanna be clear that it's not wrong to have great ideas. It's not wrong to pursue great things. In fact, it's helpful to have vision and to aim for something. But friend, do we understand that all our achievements are just an act of grace? Perhaps you started with a great vision or a great idea, but now it has turned into a great burden. 
When we enter into the presence of God through prayer, we let go of our exalted pursuits that feel heavy and no longer life-giving. There is a sense of de-selfing of our plans, our projects, our ambitions when we experience God's holy presence. We become fully human again when we confess we are not God. We are not all-powerful. We are not all-knowing. In our digital age of information, there's a real trap of believing we know better or believing that we have accurate information or that we are better informed. We can be quick to believe that we know what others should be, what they should think, what they should do. And in private, we can have really high opinions of ourselves. We convince ourselves that we know that we can do so much better than our politicians and our parents, our teachers, our children, even the neighbor next door. Instead, with humility, can we admit that we don't know what it's like to walk in another person's shoes? Can we, with humility, know, understand that we don't know their story, we don't have their struggles, we don't know the answers to their problems? Romans 12, 16 from the message translation says, bless your enemies, no cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. There is humility in recognizing our limitations. Knowing when we are out of our depth, we are not God. There will never be a time or a place which we will be able to say we have arrived. Thomas Merton in his book on contemplative prayer says we, are, we will never be anything else but beginners. In other words, we are all just children here learning together. And that is what David tells us in verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a child quieted at its mother's breast. Like a child that is quieted is my soul. There is only one image in this psalm, and the image here is in the very center in verse 2. It is the beautiful and endearing picture of a child being nursed by their mother to articulate a humble trust in God. There are many images used in the Old Testament of God as mother, Hebrew Bible scholar, Reverend Will Gaffney, shares several examples overlooked in the Old Testament of the uh, nourishing, motherly dimension of God. And I'd like to share a few of those tonight. God says in Isaiah, I have engraved my precious child, the one I nurse at my breast on the palm of my hand. Never will my child be forgotten. In most of Hosea, God is Israel's husband, but in chapter 11, she is Israel's mother. God says in Hosea, I, I taught Ephraim how to walk. Imagine God holding out her fingers, teaching her son how to take his first steps. I lifted them up in my arms. 
Imagine God holding her child to her in her arms, and not just one of them, but all of them at the same time. God says, I was to them like those who lift babies to their cheeks. Imagine God lifting her child to feel his plump cheek against her own. I reached for them and fed them. I fed all my babies, as all mothers have done from the founding of the world. The spirit who is always feminine in Hebrew was the mother hen of all creation in Genesis. Job's friend confesses that he is just like Job, made from the same clay as Job, and that the spirit of God, she has made me, and the breath of the nursing God, she gives me life. In Exodus at the founding of the nation, God gave birth to Israel, becoming their mother. The Hebrew word for Egypt, Mitzrayim, means narrow place. It is a metaphor for the womb from whose violence contractions Israel is birthed. The passage through the Red Sea is the birth canal, complete with blood and water life and death. In Numbers 11, while arguing with God, Moses complains that he did not give birth to Israel. Exasperated by the wails of God's baby, Moses tells God to nurse her own. Deuteronomy 13, 18 charges the ancient Israelites and us The rock who gave birth to you, you have neglected. You have forgotten the God who writhed in labor with you. The image of God as mother is older than the Psalms, and it endures into the New Testament and earliest theology of the church. 1 Peter 2.2 urges new Christians to desire the milk of the gospel. The gospel is the mother's milk of God. Julian of Norwich, that great mystic of the church, wrote of the motherhood and the fatherhood of God, and repeatedly as Christ our mother, who feeds us in the sacrament from his own body as a mother from her breast. We need multiple images of God like David gives us in Psalm. God personified as mother has helped the church to imagine God in different ways and to relate to God in different names and metaphors. No one image, no one word, not even one pronoun can adequately encompass the eternal one. And perhaps this is the first step in childlike humility to realize that our language and our imagery, even the most traditional and cherished, falls so short when we speak of God. Many encounters with God through the scripture reflect a reverent awe that verges on fear. While this psalm, leading us into the presence of our holy and exalted God, we discover one, God to be one of stillness and peace. 
The image of a nursing child with its mother is one of absolute care, total dependence, perfectly satisfied peace. Unlike the raging soul that's discontent with pride, the soul humbly dwelling with God comes to a place of peace in God. Interestingly, the Hebrew word gamol used in this verse is the word that we would normally use in English for weaned, describing the end of a beautiful relationship between mother and infant. Instead of weaned, another way to understand this metaphor is a child who is still nursing. It's the image of continued dependency on God. One commentary explains how the Hebrew root word for weaned means to deal bountifully, abundantly, fully, adequately. It's the same word used in Psalm 116.7, which says, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. David says, like one who is so completely dependent on the nourishment of his mother's milk, is my soul. It is an image of a newborn that is what we might call milk drunk. Usually passed out, the babe who has just finished feeding is in total contentment, oblivious, but fully trusting in the mother's nourishment A nursing babe is not wondering where the next meal will come from when they are hungry. They are resting, fully filled, whole, safe, content. This is the image of our relationship with God. We can lay in her lap for nourishment, comfort, love, safety. Simply being in God's presence is where our souls find everything it seeks. Charles Spurgeon says that Psalm 131 is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn, because it teaches us that a childlike humility is the path of total contentment. Jesus says in Matthew 18:3, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This kind of faith is completely stripped of all its own merit. This faith reclines on the bosom of the mother and trusts that all that is needed will be given. This faith confesses the validity of Jesus' words when he tells us we do not need to worry about tomorrow. Like a newborn babe, we do not need to worry about what we will eat or drink. If this metaphor of Mother God resonates with you, I encourage you to take some time after the service to reflect on our own artist, Marcy Yoder's work here. It's in the center, the original framed art that she has provided for us this evening. It is a watercolor of her own interpretation of Mother God. And the final verse reminds us that our spiritual journey is not a personal journey alone. Verse three, it shifts from the personal to the communal here. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. 
These psalms helped Israel go on a very precarious journey from their homes to the temple, not in isolation, but in community. In long journeys over rough terrain, it is important that we are not alone. We need one another. We are interdependent. And as I meditated on this last verse, I thought of our little church here, walking through the precarious terrain of COVID, transition into a new home, and now seeking a new pastor. And I felt God's encouragement to us that we are on this journey together. We are not alone. The terrain has been rough at times. We might feel a little bit tired a little bit weary, but we do have each other and we need each other. Of course, there's more work to be done. There's always unfinished business to complete, but that's the truth of life. There will always be more work to do, but I believe it's time for us to release our doubts, our fears, our anxieties about the future, personally and communally. God has given us a great deal. He has been so faithful. And God continues to give us everything we need abundantly beyond what we could expect. We can rest. We can hope. Like a tired pilgrim approaching God's presence in the temple, we can take off our boots and exhale. I invite you to close your eyes and reflect on a couple of questions. How is your soul? What is keeping you from feeling peace? What are your doubts? What are your questions? What are your disappointments? And what is the hope you're afraid to hold tonight? As you reflect on those questions and as we enter into silence, if you can, name one thing that you can release to God that would move you towards quieting your soul.